perspective. In this episode, we speak to Timothy Tyler, the deadhead who served over 26 years in federal prison for LSD before being granted clemency by President Barack Obama. It was really amazing to see what a positive mindset this man had whilst facing such adversity. Yeah, so our guest now, since doing the podcast, I've spoken to a range of exciting people so far and all with very different stories and perspectives. So I'm pretty sure that our next guest can offer a completely unique shift in your perspective. Uh, he served a very long time in federal prison until he was granted clemency by President Obama. So if there was like, a live crowd right now, I think everyone would be probably clapping at this point. So this is uh, Timothy Tyler. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm great. Um, the sun is shining and yeah, the skies are blue. So you, is, The sun is shining where you're at. Is it, um, is it like, it's at night at in where are you anyway? I am in, in uh, Netherlands actually right now. Oh, the Netherlands! Oh, I was yeah. gonna go there this last year. I'm definitely gonna go there this year. Hopefully, if uh, if there's oh, traveling. Yeah, hopefully that. Yeah, um, I'm hope I'm hoping that travel will reopen this year. And if you do, yeah, make sure you you come by for sure. Come stay at ours, and maybe we can do <laughs> another session like this, but in person, and you know, have some have some drinks or smoke and chill. So. You, you, um, this is this is your fifth uh, podcast. Is that is this is something that you uh, just started? And um, I was just curious. That's all. Yeah, and so I, it's, okay, it's number five. I've recorded a couple of podcasts uh, before the whole coronavirus thing. Like I, I recorded some with people actually with me, like in, in a different room. But since then, uh, we yeah they weren't uh, quite high enough quality, and we didn't have all the right equipment set up. And then. We got the equipment and then the lockdown happened with Corona, so we've not been able to do it. So I thought, you know what, screw this, I'm just going to do it over Zoom and give some people some something to watch whilst, whilst this is going on. Uh, this is really amazing. This uh, this is the first time I've ever used this Zoom. Yep. You know, I've, I've been hearing a lot about it, but I've never used it before and it's, it's really amazing. You know, mm-hmm. when I went inside, we had like cassette tapes and uh, uh, beepers, you know what I mean? In 19, <laughs> 1992, I went in. And I came out in, uh, I was totally free on August 30th, uh, 2018. And when you come out and you, you go in, you know, imagine coming with cassette tapes and then you come out with these uh, phones that you take pictures. I mean, look at this right here. This is like, (laughs) it's amazing. This is like something brand new to me. And I can't I, even imagine that. Yeah, how mind blowing that must be. Um, it's like it was like getting thrown into a futuristic society, you know. Well, so uh, when you uh, when you went inside, um, I guess there were phones in on suit briefcases. That was probably the time. Like the first cell phones were. Um, yeah, like, my father I think had one of those right at right at the end when right when I went in. Yeah, he had like one of them big phones, original <laughs> ones. Well. <laughs> And no internet. No, no. He had a he had a little Apple computer. I remember messing around with, and like you could. The only thing that I I learned like you could program this certain thing and say run, and it would make a uh, little lines and names go across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and now Nowadays, you're talking to someone on the other side of the world. <laughs> I know it's, and I guess other people could see it or hear it. That's 
it's really amazing. And all this technology is, it's, uh, like I said, futuristic. It's, it's, um, I guess everybody lived it. Like you guys lived it. You, you had like one phone, then you went to a higher one and a higher one and a higher one. I yeah. didn't see any of those. I just came out and saw these, this, uh, <laughs> smartphone and it was like, there's no place to dial the number. You know, I didn't know even how to use it when I got out. That's just, I can't even imagine how, how mind blowing that must be. Did, did you have, um, were lots of people keeping you up to date on things was, you know, like, uh, I guess on technology or what, what was happening with, um, yeah, how actually, did you know about what was going on? Actually, um, in, uh, around 2008, gave, um, like they got computers in, in the prison system. Mm-hmm. Um, but the computer, it would have an email technically but we would email something called CoreLinks. It's CoreLinks.com. Okay. And, and say if you're a member of the free world, you can go, you can set up your email so that an inmate can write you through this CoreLinks. Oh, wow. So, so we would, like us, it automatically goes to CoreLinks. So we don't, you know, we don't see the site or anything. We just go and see the person's name on there and write an email. You know, so basically got emails in 2008 in federal prison, mm-hmm. but well, it wasn't, and it takes hours. Like, you know how you can send an email instant right now to each other? Well, we can, I can too. I, I get confused sometimes of where I am, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and I talk in that present past tense still sometimes, <laughs> you know, um, but you can send an email to corelinks.com and uh, that First, they, they can write you back. So we would be able to send emails. And I had this guy, um, his name is Malik. And uh, they have this this woman named uh, Amy Kandu, or Amy yep. Pava, her name is. You might have heard Kandu Clemency. They help people that um, to get clemency. And also, the girl that started it, she received the clemency from uh, Bill Clinton back in, like, 2001. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, it's, it, she has an uh, interesting story, too, but um, she got a clemency and she never stopped fighting for other people that are in prison. So between her and her East Coast affiliate, they would send literally like 400 of us every day an email oh, wow. ex- explaining up to date what's going on, like a little bit of technology, you know, so we would at least hear about what they have out here and stuff like that. No pictures. The emails are... There's no pictures allowed, only print, you know? So we didn't get to see any kind of a picture through the email. You can just read something, you know? That's absolutely, wow. So for, yeah, so um, Malik would uh, send us, like, he wrote like 400, he still writes them, like 400 and plus people that are in prison, you know, every day. And we call it like lighting up our blue light, because when you go, to say there's five computers in our living quarters where we live. Yeah. There's five little, there's five computers and you, you go on and you type in your uh, prison number and, and uh, it'll have a blue light if you have a message, you know? (laughs) So we call it lighting up our blue light, you know? So if you go there and you type it in, there's no blue light. There's no sense even going on there, you know, unless you want to send something to somebody, you can, you can write a message and it takes, anywhere from like an hour up to a day, you know, cause they, they have to, uh, screen them, 
you know, screen the mail coming in and out. So everything that you send is getting checked. Like, um, yeah. And, and what happens if, is there, if someone sends something and it's not like, if, I don't know, are there rules? What, it can't be spoken about? Like, will they say, sorry, we've rejected a message from this person because, you know, they've used Well, I never words. had that done, but I believe they would do that. But they would also, uh, you know, make it so you couldn't use email anymore. If you said something specifically wrong, you know, they'll take, they'll write you an incident report and they'll take your email. They can also take other things too, like uh, your ability to visit your uh, family, uh, commissary, phone restriction, you know. Actually, it's interesting is, like, sometimes they, they might have, like, some weed or something in the prison system. And if you were actually, and they, they uh, urine test people at random and spend millions a year doing it, this is in federal prison. Yeah. And if you, uh, depending on what prison you're at, if you get caught, like, let's say you smoke a joint, for example, they would take you and put you in a hole. They call it the hole or it's really a special housing unit for up to two months, you know, oh. for some, and they might take it where you can't talk to your family for 18 months. You can't have commissary for 18 months. And luckily I abstained, you know, I do. I, I did like to smoke once in a while, but mm-hmm. um, and I abstained at least for the first seven years. I, I totally abstained. You know, Not worth I, it for you. No, it wasn't worth it. And I, and I always looked at it like my my sister. I like to talk to her at least every other day, if possible. Whenever I could, I would call her quite often. And um, um, yeah. So if you, I didn't want to take that chance of not being able to talk to them. You know, that's one one thing. So luckily, I never got one of those. And most people do get one or two dirty urns and and they call it dirty urns anyway i kind of keep everybody in check i guess in one way but it's it's kind of a waste because i i look at society paying millions of dollars to um urine test prisoners when i was looking at i was thinking like what does it matter if a guy in prison smokes a joint you know what i mean yeah that's true (laughs) Could they extend people's sentences if, if for infractions like that? No, not for that specifically, but maybe like if they were bringing something in, if yeah. like like people have contact visits and if they brought something in or they tried to, yeah. Sentences for that. And also another interesting, towards the end around um, two years before I got out, before I walked out, um, well, actually, it was like three years before I walked out. Uh, they started, you know, there's illegal things in prison, and they do have phones at at some prisons, you know. But the same guy that I'm telling you about, Malik, coincidentally, I was considering getting one, you know, because I was doing life. I didn't have a release date. And the phone sounded interesting to me, you know, but I didn't use it. Or yeah, I, there came a time when a guy came to, came up to me, and he's like, he wanted to sell me one. Right. And I'm in there. It's funny, but, and I considered even getting it. And coincidentally, an hour later, I went to the computer and checked it. And my friend Malik had sent 400 emails to all these people, including me that said, Hey, by the way, if you guys are considering getting a clemency, do not get caught with a cell phone and you'll, you'll never get one. So not only that, but they, they started, uh, um, 
you know, catching them phones. And each person that was getting that was caught with one of them phones would get an extra year in prison. They would take them to court and actually give them another year on top of their sentence. So let's say they had a release date of, you know, tomorrow. Instead, now they're doing another whole year. Oh, for a phone. But as soon as he said that to me, he was like, he's a good friend of mine. And I actually met him within two hours of me being released from prison at a bus at the bus. Yeah. He came to the bus terminal where um, I was released from Jessup, Georgia. And I went to uh, Atlanta bus terminal, you know, on the bus and uh, he came and met me there. You know, he's a photographer too. So he took some pictures, but they had, um, like I was vegan in prison. Right. And they had, and uh, Ben and Jerry's came out with uh, Cherry Garcia vegan. Right? <laughs> yeah. the, week, the week I was released, they came out with it right then. And he somehow found one in Atlanta and brought it to me at the bus stop. You know, oh, I, I was released like two hours. I was out for two hours and he brought me a vegan Ben and Jerry's. You know, that was that was like a pretty nice. And um, I also had this uh, friend of mine named Wes Brewer from CNN. And he took the trip with me and he recorded me, you know, with a um, professional camera and, you know, Mike, the whole trip for two and a half days. We drove to Vegas on a bus oh. and he went with me and my cousin also. Did you, what, what was it like the first day that you, you came out? I mean, how, how was that? Because did you have fresh air beforehand? Like, or was it just yeah. step out? And... Yeah, well, I mean, uh, actually right now because of the virus, None of the people that are in federal prison, as we speak right now, they have not been allowed outside in air since April 1st. None of them. Wow. You know, and there's about 153,000 people. Uh, and I, I'm still in contact with probably like eight, eight people that, you know, were my friends throughout the years. And they're all yeah. like locked down 22 hours or 23 hours a day in their rooms. And when they let them out, it's only on this little area where they can maybe use the phone for 15 minutes and um, use yeah. the email, take a shower. But um, all of them have told me the same story that um, they're, they haven't been allowed out since April 1st, you know, outside to get any sun. So they can't get sun. But yeah, ordinary when it's, when it was normal, at least at the last four years I was at, um, I was at a medium in Jessup, Georgia, you could go outside from six in the morning, you know, till three in the afternoon and you come in to count, then you can go back out for another two hours. So it was, it was a lot of freedom there. But before that I was in mostly penitentiaries for probably 17 out of them years, 17 of them years I was in, you know, United States penitentiaries, which is uh, high security. You can go outside, but usually it's only for like one and a half hours at a time, you know, up to maybe three hours at a time. And uh, it was really restricted. And, and it was, it was, uh, I was there in, I guess it would be 2012. And um, Wes Brewer hooked me up with Nick Valencia of CNN. And I did an interview without permission, you know, kind of like I'm doing an interview <laughs> here, but I did it over the telephone and they set yeah. parameters for the sound. And I did that, and I guess it kind of went viral at the time. CNN put it out, and um, it it was out for like an hour, and they, I don't think they were ready for that that kind of uh, exposure over criminal justice, you know, because they were looking at like, like 
what I did, you know, I sold LSD basically, and you know, yeah. a lot of people, including me, consider sacrament, sacred mm-hmm. substance, whatever. And um, I'm sure there'll be a book out soon by a friend of mine named Dr. John Beresford that died uh, on that subject. But anyways, um, we were, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's no worries, man. Uh, you're saying the, um, uh, that you got busted for the LSD and you're saying your friend's writing a book. Oh yeah. Yeah. I said, um, anyways, I was trying to make it go back into, uh, into a circle. So, I, um, yeah. That's all good. Um, you, the CNN recording. So you had the, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So, wasn't from CNN. So the, so the, okay. When I walked out, I had to go to a home confinement for two months. Right. And, um, we're actually, it would be three months. And, but before that I would have to go to a halfway house for 60 days. And that halfway house was in Las Vegas. And technically I was supposed to, you know, get on this bus and go to, well, first of all, I, I walked out to prison and that was recorded by my, my mom was there and my cousin was there. And so they said, uh, the, the people at the prison, I wasn't supposed to ride with them. Like, cause we didn't make arrangements. I was supposed to ride with an inmate that was driving one of their cars. But as soon as my, they saw my family there, they say, okay, listen, you can go with your family. So we had an itinerary already made. So they showed me that it could be, you know, it doesn't have to be followed hundred percent. So I ended up driving with my mom and my cousin to the bus station. So I get on a bus and then at the next stop was Savannah, Georgia. And my friend Wes met me there and at the bus station in Savannah. And he actually put me in a, a car, you know, and that was my first um, time seeing a car with a screen on it that showed you where you drive. And he says, here, I'm going to take you for a surprise. He said, so he took me to Tybee Beach. Right. And he, I mean, he had this real professional camera recording equipment. He's like, I want you to go to Tybee Beach. He says, your sister actually wants you to go there. So within one hour of me being released, he took me to Tybee Beach where I basically and he recorded me. And I like as soon as I touched the sand, I like broke down. You know what I mean? I kneeled down. It was it was really uh, it was really uh, amazing experience. And then I went into the ocean. And he recorded all this, right? And, and we still have all that. We haven't done anything with it. You know, I was sort of sidetracked for the last 18 months, but uh, I'm back on track now. That gives uh, me shivers, man. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he recorded this, and, like, I went into a beach uh, an hour out, and I wasn't allowed to. I wasn't supposed to, but I figured since they did it, they let me ride with my mom. I figured they wouldn't. As long as I get to the halfway house, they told me, as long as you get to the halfway house on the right time, then <laughs> you're good. Nice. So then we went to um, Atlanta, and that's where I met Malik. He brought me that Ben and Jerry's thing, ice cream, <laughs> vegan. And when he did that, he had this high, real high-powered camera stuff. So he's taking pictures. The other guy's videoing it, and, and, people, and I'm like, just walked out of prison, you know, and people are thinking, who's this guy? And I'm just like... You know, hey, I'm just lucky to be here, and, and it's, oh, it was just. God. And then uh, some some uh, Grateful Dead fans came there, and they brought me a couple things at the bus station, you know. And I, 
they brought me like um this poster of Jerry Garcia that was like 30 years old and um yeah it was it was really nice you know see these couple of deadheads and tie-dyes at the bus station you know and they <laughs> and it's all like filmed and it was kind of it was really like Whoa. an amazing time and um and then i then we took the bus my cousin him and and uh wes and i and it, like basically interviewed me and recorded for the whole bus trip you know and he, he recorded me doing things organically like um they had dead and company was playing a concert right you know, I'm I'm a deadhead, right? I like yeah. I love yeah. people dead. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, just just so anyone who's listening. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm uh, really into the Grateful Dead, uh, by the way. Followed them around on tour, right? That's part of the whole thing. Living with the band, going on tour, and being part of the the whole the scene is. Yeah. So um, so I'm on the bus. We're driving, and it's I was released on May 29th, actually to go to a halfway house and my real, my complete release date was August 30th, 2018. So I'm on this bus and dead in company with John Mayer. John Mayer is playing uh, Jerry Garcia's part. Now they were playing a concert on May 30th. Well, my friend Wes is like, hold on, I'm going to get it for you on the bus. You're going to be able to watch it live. And he like recorded me watching this. I couldn't believe it, man. I'm watching, I'm riding on a bus. I've been out for like less than a day and I'm watching Dead and Company on a bus, you know, on a phone, no less, or actually a laptop, I think. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. Like I'm watching a live concert, you know, I was just like, it's just like, a live concert while I'm on a bus. I mean, as the concert's actually playing live, it was just like, it. it's hard to actually believe that all this stuff even existed. For me, it was just, I was just blown away. And then uh, so I met this girl on the bus. She came up to me and like, she could have picked anywhere to sit and she sat next to me. And so she was talking about Facebook and I, I'd been hearing about Facebook. So she hooked me up a Facebook account and I didn't know better, so I just accepted everybody. Like, okay, okay, okay. So before the bus was over, I had 600 friends on there, you know. <laughs> then, I, then I found out later that they weren't really all friends because, mm. you know, they tried all these weird things, you know, like like this or like this, and it's, you know, and it takes you to some conceited stuff or, you know, different Oh. There's a lot of scams on the internet, and I can only imagine if you've not um, experienced it before. <laughs> I just hit click, click, click. So somebody's probably saying, "Hey, he's he's accepting everybody, so do whatever." So mm-hmm. since then, I had to like screen all those, and I and then I screen them nice, and now it's at five thousand, which is like the max on Facebook. <laughs> but they're all basically Grateful Dead, you know, family, you know, because I had um, four hundred twenty-three thousand people that signed a petition for me at change.org, wow. you know, 423,000 people, which is, I guess it still is the most, the most in the country. Um, there's, there's another guy that's in there right now named Ross and he started a uh, Silk Road. And oh, I think Russell he has Uber. like, yeah. And I think okay. he has like 250,000 signatures. Now I signed for him, you know, and he, he asked, uh, his, his mom talked to my sister and stuff like that, you know, and asked, you know, what to experience, expect in there. Cause they sent him to a, 
penitentiary also because he has life you know they send me to penitentiaries you know it's it's really hard to describe and hard to uh comprehend what really goes on there you know unless you experience it but i gave him some advice that i'm pretty sure he seems like he's doing okay there you know as far as he's okay right now do you he think do, yeah. do non non-violent offenders like yourself and like ross do you when you go in how much positivity and hope you have of getting out i mean obviously you must have <laughs> you seem to be pretty positive now but you know were there moments and when when you first go in is it do you just think this is it well yeah i did think like that but i also i don't know i i guess i one of the things that helped me um was actually like you know i paid attention to the lyrics grateful dead lyrics for one thing or another and what jerry said and he did a 1993 rolling stone interview that i read and he talked about december 21 2012. so for me i had like a focus okay well i'm gonna at least make it till then and see what happens there right so we got all the way to the date he he mentioned and then on that date i had right around that date we we ended up getting something that was real significant for us in prison in federal prison um we okay from i went in in 1992 yeah from 1990 and then from 1992 all the way to 2012 we had no ability to like listen to to like your your own favorite music for example we didn't ha we had a radio but you know they they very rarely play like grateful dead or a lot of other bands that, you know they just play the same 10 songs or whatever i don't know mm -hmm. They gave us uh, MP3 players in 2012, and it was a big deal. It changed like the whole consciousness in prison, you know, because now all the other guys can listen to all their like rap or whatever they wanted to listen to or country, you know, whatever anybody wanted. And of course, they had thousands of Grateful Dead songs, so <laughs> it was it was life changing for me, you know, because yeah. up until that point, I used to like call my sister every so often i listen to this song called days between and uh she would play it for me over the telephone and we we're only we only get 300 minutes a month and i would call her like like once a month would be a call or once every couple months or so would be a call just so i can listen to this music you know and it would like that one song called days between like help me you know i've told this story a few times but it it was actually um I went around the country thanking everybody because headcount that um, Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead he started a headcount which is for to get everybody to vote. You oh, know, really? okay, what what in the presidential elections? Yeah, to vote. Period. Mm -hmm. Then yep. they register people to vote, and now they're at like Ariana the Grande concerts and all. They, well, there's not even concerts right now, but they were before the virus mm -hmm. hit. They they go to all these different concerts to get people to vote to you know try to get younger crowds to hey vote because look at what's happening you know so if everybody voted then maybe so bob weir started it and uh so i went to headcount to thank them you know because they mentioned me and i went to everyone i i thanked amy Candu, i thanked fam you know really my sister did a did a, a very she never gave up you know she and she got out of her comfort zone by doing this documentary in um 2014 that's when cnn shared my voice 
in her documentary at the same time. That's what yeah. really went viral. Was her doing a real documentary and my voice over it with my picture. And um, but it, so uh, I went around thanking all the people, families against men are mandatories. You know, the lady, the woman that started that name is uh, Julie Stewart, and she she wrote me and tried to help me for like 25 years. That's crazy. You know? And also, um, well, probably like for 23 years, I would say. And then um, ACLU, Jennifer Turner, she took my picture and five other guys, and then she did a whole bunch more than that and put in every magazine, like every magazine that you could think of. They put full-page colored ads in the magazines. Whoa. And then it was that, and then, um, you know, it was a combination, Business Insider, and then Rand Paul, he was running for president yep. on, a, on, a ju- on a criminal reform. And so my sister sent him an article and he posted it in Washington Post and then he started talking in front of schools about it. So like all this, all these different people and organizations um, were helping me, you know, and helped me. So I went around and thanked them. You know, basically I traveled for like a year or longer just thanking people, you know, but the headcount thing be, was really interesting one because I was in there telling Andy Bernstein, um, you know, uh, the story of spending 20 years without the ability to listen to great dead music. And he was like, <clears throat> he was really moved. And he was like, he, he picked up his phone and he called uh, a member of the band, the grateful dead, the original member. And, and he said, would you repeat that, you know, to him? And I repeated <laughs> it and I was able to like meet him, you know, and, and hang out like three times since then. It was really like, it was really like blessed. I, I was really blessed, you know, with that. And then there's another band called J-Rad that um, they really showed a warm heart to me. And they're, they're like um, a new up and coming, you know, Grateful Dead inspired band mm-hmm. you know and they all have their own bands too but it you know it's just um I, I was it seems like i was given a lot of uh you know blessed i i say blessed attention you know like they've been they're like wow you know because i mean the grateful dead they were they started basically they they had acid tests and they they were the band that played during them acid tests you know mm-hmm. what i mean and it was legal up until 1966 before i was born of course but i mean when you look at the whole story you know they they look at it as a tool and and some and a lot of people it's you know i started a i had a vision when i was doing life of this documentary um basically that would you know because a lot of we consider the sacrament a sacred substance like yeah uh, it can help. It helps cure addictions. It, it's helping in psychology. Of course, I'm not qualified to sell it or hand it out, which I won't, but I, I can preach on it a little yep. bit, you know, lots of psychedelics in general. The, and I, I think things are changing a lot with that. I, I mean, I imagine what well, you probably were at the worst end, end of it, you know, going from the Grateful Dead where it was uh, early on, where it was legal to then it becoming illegal. And then when you got caught, that was probably when there was the most heat on, you know, it's this evil bad thing. And now people are starting to shift 
And exactly right. Exactly right. So we had a, we had this vision of this documentary, which is um, we re, we recorded um, like four four days so far, but um, and we have a lot of like famous people interested and in it already too. So you know, um, it's I'm really not even supposed to even mention it, I guess, <laughs> or, or maybe I can, but I I, I I'm not gonna. You know, it's it's gonna come out one day, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it, my friend Seth Ferranti, he uh, he's actually like a writer producer now, but he did 21 years also for the same thing as me, and he produced, he wrote 22 books from prison, and um, it's like I think it's GorillaConvict.com or whatever. He um, so he's he signed on to like write a book about you know my experiences in there but he also like he did 21 calendar years so we were actually i think you know you heard of uh, basically the lsd museum it's in san francisco or or it's sort of it's called an lsd museum uh museum. well it's there's um a kind of like a famous person i i know that you know who i'm talking about his name, first name is mark Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, he, uh, he extended his house to us to record there. So we recorded nice. three days inside there with like famous people and, you know, um, and I got everybody wearing, uh, this, this is a, I guess you can't probably see this. Yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. It's a, a happy cross created by, uh, Dr. John Beresford in like 1989. Right. And Mark gave me this and he's and uh, coincidentally, like his father was instrumental in he was Albert Hoffman's friend. Right. And he was instrumental in like he was a doctor, medical doctor, and he was instrumental in taking they called it like the magic gram. He got it from Sandoz and he, it basically went to Timothy Larry, you know, yep. long story short. And he was instrumental in bringing it from like the lab to the free world. You know what? Well, he wrote me for 15 years until he died. And, and he wrote me like three page, full page type letters, right? So I was told to tell his son and his son wrote me for the last 10 years I was down. So really the whole time I was down, their family wrote me. So basically his son told me about these crosses and he's like, yeah, well, you know, my, my dad, he goes, I have like 300 of these. at." I said, well, you just hold them one day, you know, because uh, his father was into magic and stuff like that, too. So I was like, you have a, a nice item on your hands. But anyways, his son and daughter, uh, they came to, to shoot in the documentary. And they're, they're, they have really profound statements themselves because Dr. John Beresford kept um, it all hidden from their ch his children. And then while we were there filming, we had... Seth had like 160 years worth of people that were in that did together combined. We did like 160 years Whoa. of people Whoa. that were for the same substance and they were there and all of them had the same story that John Beresford, not only did he write all of them, but he visited all of them and then come to find out he don't, he never even had a car. So everything he did was like, we, they, his children got to find this out organically on film so like we, what an amazing man yeah it was really it, it was just amazing this 
all that. And we got Amy, Amy Candu, and I was telling you about Candu Clemency. Yeah. Foundation. She started. She was. She's there, and she was in it. You know, and she's will be in it. Um. So it, you know, we had um, in Roni, you know, Roni Stanley. That was Osley's. She has a child by Osley, and Osley. I don't know if you know who he is, but he. No, who's that? Osley Stanley. He basically. The Steal Your Face, the Grateful Dead logo right there. Okay, yep. He he created that. He was their sound man. Ah, okay. You know, and he also made LSD and he also had asked, you know, he was the one making it for them and for, <laughs> you know, he's really famous. If you, They call him Beer. He's known as Beer. But anyways, so all this stuff came organically. And um, I saved like all my letters, you know, from everybody that wrote me for all them years, I have all them letters. And um, when... John Beersford, I didn't even know he had a, a son and daughter for that matter. And uh, his wife reached out to me and said, you know, his son probably would want to take over writing. So I, I contacted him and I told him, you know, I have all the letters that your dad wrote me. So I sent them to him and he was like in awe, like, oh, yeah. So me and him became like really good friends. And oh. I, I finally met him at that shoot. We had all these people fly in from all over the place and uh and i met him at the shoot there in san francisco and it was you know i got to spend a few days together and uh, it was really nice and i you know i've talked to him a lot so um uh -oh. i um let's see as far as i wanted to say one other thing um yeah, there's this woman named uh, um her name is ash right she's basically like grateful dead uh family and and uh she uh started this well while i'm in prison okay she would send us four page like a um a newsletter you know and it would have like uplifting things in it funny things in it it would have it would have like little stories or poems from other prisoners and stuff like that and it was basically for for deadheads you know so she now I think it's like 450 or maybe it's, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's only 350 people. I, I don't know. I don't know the number, but she sends every month a newsletter to all these people that are in prison. It could be state or federal, whatever. They're basically yep. grateful dead. You know, they're into the grateful dead or they just friends. They could be into like fish or widespread panic or one of them other bands too. You know, they're just like, um, so it's called, yeah. So it's called kids writing kids and church of love's own dream. Right. I, she has a Facebook page, but it has people that like, if somebody wanted to write a prisoner, you know, she has like prisoners addresses there that people can write or they can even donate to her or whatever. And, um, I guess Bob Weir of the grateful dead found out about it. And one of his people found out about it and they, they donated a little bit to her you know, just for like a couple months, um, to, you know, but she does this on her own. And, you know, if you're sending 400 letters, it probably costs her almost a dollar a piece, you know, between postage and stuff like that, you know? So I went and visited her cause she sent me those. Like there'd be times when I was in the hole cause you might go in the hole for different reasons. You know, you could get locked up for, for nothing. Somebody cannot like you and write a, a kite write a note against you and they could, they would actually lock you up for 
it could be a month, it could be two months, just they call it investigation, you know, it's so that's really, a God. It's, yeah, it's on, it's, it's not even really fair, actually, what goes on in there, you know, not, not guards, but let's say uh, an inmate, an inmate can write a, a letter, or nowadays, I guess they, you would type a letter to, to the people in there, because they got computers, and they go right to what they call SIS, which is, um, you know, special investigation officer or something like, I don't know what it's exactly called, but so somebody could actually go on a computer and say, uh, you know, Tim's doing this or whatever. And if they believe it, or even if they don't believe it and they want to mess with you, they can come and grab you from your, where you live and bring you to the hole for, you know, and I, I went through that for two months, one time, two months, you were in two, there for two months, <laughs> for two months, I was somebody writing a letter about me. And then really the guy wanted to leave the prison. It was USP Atlanta and it was like 1995. And um, they didn't really know me that well. You know, I was only in there at the time for like a year or so. And so the guy wrote this letter and it was really not even, it was, it was totally the opposite of my character. But anyways, they locked me up and two months and two days later, they let me out. And coincidentally, it was 1995 in August. And, and Jerry Garcia died while I was in that hole, you know. Ninth of August, right? Yeah, he August 9th, yeah. 1995. But I was in there from like July all the way till September, something like that. And um, so I experienced that in the hole, you know. When Jerry died, it was it was really, really emotional. It was bad for me. But um, how how is the like? What is the hole like? I mean. I imagine it sounds horrible. Is it tiny? Okay, well, we call it the hole, but it's a special housing unit. Depending on where you're at and what prison you're at, you would either be in there by yourself or with one other person. You know, you might have a roommate. And it's basically just a room that in the penitentiaries, they have a shower built into that room. But in a lot of the mediums, they don't have a shower in the room. They, they would bring you to a shower. You know, you got to put your hands backwards through the slot they put handcuffs on you then they open the door bring it to the shower and then you put your hands through there they uncuff you then you take a shower and then you do the same thing to get back to your room that's the same thing when you go to rec too the same thing and the wrecks you know you you just go from a little room to basically a cage out that may or may not be outside and um so this particular time, they they had a part of the, it was United States Penitentiary in Atlanta, and they had a part of the prison, they had a lot of people in the hole for all types of reasons. And you know, I'm in there for over a letter that a guy wrote, a, they call it a kike. Yeah. And I'm in there really for nothing. So they opened up a, a part of the prison that was not supposed to be opened. It was kind of like condemned, there was no air conditioning but they needed the overflow. So they opened it up. They call it C block. And when they opened it, like I was already in the regular, in the regular shoe, they call it. When, when they opened this part up, they put me and uh, the guys that were in my room and the, the guys who were in the, in the, in the unit, they took all of us out of there and they brought us all and they filled up this and it was single cells, but there's no, it, imagine it's, Atlanta 
and it's uh, like a hundred. It felt like hundred and thirty degrees up there, and it mm-hmm. probably was. You know, and I actually I like saunas, but this was never ending. So the only way you can cool down was I would take my clothes and I would put it in a sink and I would wet them, totally soaking wet, and I would put them on, and that's how I'd cool down. It was like really, and that was when Jerry died. So my sister sent me like all the magazines. So I basically surrounded the whole cell with magazines, you know, like a shrine of, for him and stuff. But um, so I was there for about a month in that real, real heat, no air conditioning. And and uh, finally they let me out. And the guy that wrote the kite, they shipped him. And that's what it, his goal was to get shipped. So they shipped him and let me out, you know? And um. You know, and I went back to everything was normal. But, you know, it was two months and two days where I couldn't call my sister. I didn't I didn't do anything wrong other than I, the guy wrote a letter against me, you know. Um, and and then since then, people right now, they look they do a little bit more investigating, you know, because they yeah. would have like if I if they would have did that now, which somebody tried to do actually right before I was going to go home. Somebody tried to do it even three days before I was going to go home. I had a roommate and, um, you know, I didn't agree with some of the things that, you know, I didn't, I definitely didn't agree with what he was in prison for, you know, but I was at a point where, uh, you know, whatever's going on in here is going on in here. I'm leaving and, you know, I was going to leave in a couple days. You knew you were out in three days then. Yeah. I was like three days to go home and they called me down there. They said, listen, you, they told me straight out, they said, your roommate wrote this kite against you, and it was all lies. And they said, we know it's all lies. What it was is, like, when you're in prison, you have all all kinds of little things. You might have a radio. You might have clothes or whatever. You don't want to take any of that stuff home. You want to leave it in there because it's hard enough to get stuff in there, you know, or you buy it from the commissary or whatever, and some people don't have stuff. So I accumulated a lot of things. And, of course, I'm not going to take any of that home, and most people don't. So he knew I wasn't going to give him anything, you know, just because of how, how he acted and other reasons. So, um, he was trying to get all my stuff himself by getting me locked up for the last three days. And then he gets to keep everything and he don't pack it. You know what I mean? That's what he, that was oh his moment. They knew this. So they, they like, they asked me a question. They said, listen, are you going to go back there? We told you this. Are you going to go back there and hurt your roommate? And I'm like, listen, man, I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't, all that. I said, I give you my word. And they're like, okay, you give us your word. You're not going to do it. We're going to let you go back to your room. So I go back there. I didn't even say anything because I knew what he did. Right. And they, and they, you know, and so I let, I walked out of there and I gave all my stuff to everybody else. Like I anticipated. And I, I really didn't even believe I was going to go home until I actually, actually walked out that door and it was like night and day like the sun felt like inside it felt for a lot of years it felt you know i was okay with it for the last four years in there but when i walked out that door it felt like the sun was way brighter on the outside than it was yeah. on the, i couldn't believe it and i also didn't think i like i was gonna like cry or anything like that but as soon as i walked through that gate i just broke down like i yeah. I, I couldn't help it it just like came instant like flooded and uh i didn't know and you know my cousin my mom was there um with a little with a video camera and uh and they didn't think i was gonna be able to even ride with them but luckily they let they let us ride together so that was really nice 
and I was able to like learn how to use the phone at least to make a phone call right then. Cause I didn't even know how to, I, there was no buttons on it. You know, I didn't even know how to do that. <laughs> and, Touch uh, screens. Yeah, true. And my, and my mom, first thing I did was I figured out how to call my sister and I called her and was like, Hey, I'm in the car with my mother and, oh, and, babe. and it was like really a big, a big deal. You know, beautiful. Um, when you're in, when you're in the hole, like what kind of things, what can you do? I mean, with your time, do you, are you just thinking or, you know, or do you have, cause I'm, you must've read your books. I mean, if you've got a book, you well, probably read them or. Yeah, you can get, you can get books. Um, you can actually get books mailed into you mm-hmm. uh, from like, am you know, from one of these companies or bookstores and stuff like that. You can, in some prisons, you can, sometimes they'll bring books around, you know, see, I like to read truth books though, you know, like Terrence McKenna, like I read all his stuff and, you know, and, um, you know, Roni Stanley has a book, um, Osley, me, my LSD family. And, uh, I read that book and I have, um, I read, you know, I like to read true books basically, Mm -hmm. but, there's times when I couldn't get them and I would read every so often I would read a, um, um, I would read one that was, you know, not true, you know, just a regular Anything, book. Anything, right? <laughs> yeah. You want to do that. And then you want to, you know, I, I wrote at one point I wrote, you know, I, I basically wrote this book. I haven't, uh, I still haven't put that out yet because you need to, you need to really should. Yeah, I know. I, I Seth is working on one right now because basically we um, he has a manager and I end up signing with his manager out of Boston and he wants to do this other one first. It's kind of important, you know. And I okay, I won't. It's better that the whole story gets told. It's it's something. It's way different than I'm even talking about here. And it's it's just, it's a story. Basically, I wrote a letter to the president before I got a clemency. Before I was this was to Obama, yeah. <laughs> I wrote him a letter and I said, you know, this is a situation that I, I've come to understand and I want to share this. I want this, I want this story to come out. And, uh, and like three, you know, I had a lot of help also, but three weeks later I was given a clemency, you know, whether that has to do with that or any, or whether that helped or not. And I, and I have not told that story, but I did Seth's working on write this right now as we speak. So the guy wants that one to come out first and then I can put out really my, cool. this other story. That's a little, um, you know, I, I talk about some things, but not, yeah, not yeah. a lot, you know. Do you, do you mind um, explaining a bit about like before you went to prison about what, what you were doing and I mean like life, cause you were, were you taught, were you actually full time touring around as a deadhead? Yeah, I, w- I was actually, I ha- my father had a fireworks company. He started, he was actually the first one in Florida to sell fireworks. Okay. He looked, he went to Stetson, he went to one of them law schools and he looked up and there was like a loophole and I actually helped start it. And I used to unload and load sometimes trucks by myself at first. And then he built it into this big business and, you know, and he wanted me to, to um, basically take it over one day. But I, ba- I discovered you know, that I don't know what it was about the show. It was like the people, it was, it became like this family that I felt more connection with, you know, 
with the, the family, the energy that was at the shows. Like, like I believe in magic now, but I didn't even know too much about magic back in the day. And come to find out, you know, like they used to stage the shows. And if you look, they used to build a, a sacred space, you know, by and how you can build energy is by dancing, by music, you know. So really, it was all like magical. You know, when I first, the first one I walked in, it was like, wow, this is something that I searched. You know, I, I had, I, I literally had tried to go out west several times when I was young in search of something, which I didn't even know what I was in search of, I was searching for. And when I first walked into one of them shows, like I, I like, I went all the way from Connecticut to Illinois to, you know, to, uh, just to go into one show out, you know, I had been outside a couple of shows near our house. And I didn't go in cause I didn't know what was going on in there. I didn't, it was like, uh, I don't know. It, it was like a time warp looking at a time warp from the outside, you know, where I, and then I, I had to, I wanted to know what went on inside cause I was outside a couple of shows, you know, and I didn't even know what it was. I didn't How even old know. Are you, by the way, at this point, like when you first, uh, I was, 19 i was probably like 20 years old my first show yeah 19 or 20 and um so i walked in there and as soon as i did it was like this is what i was searching for several times you know i would um and it just became i don't know it just became like i felt like a family a, a different family you know and it was big and it was like excitement it was dancing uh it was just, you know, and then I started getting really um, understanding the lyrics and, um, you know, paying attention to the lyrics. And I don't know, I just got really, really um, interested in it. And, it. and it was like, a fam- it became a family for sure. And it was like that same family came together and signed petitions for me and mm-hmm. way more than that to get me out too, to help try to get me out. And then also, you know, I mentioned about 2012 a few times, something else that happened there, you know, Obama was elected in 2009 and the Grateful Dead reunited, you know, they hadn't played for years and they reunited called Deadheads for Obama. So they helped get him elected. So, (laughs) so when he was elected, as soon as he was elected, I was like, I did a clemency for myself and I sent it to him. You know, I was thinking, well, the Grateful Dead helped get him in. <laughs> you got to look out for some deadheads, right? Because there was like three of us that were real deadheads. Um, and uh, one was, um, we were all doing life, right? There was three of us that I knew doing life. So that's all of you life without parole for, and is that all for drug possession? For LSD. But all for LSD. Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> one was named Rudd Walker. Uh, his name was um, uh, Rudd Walker. I, I forget his whole name, but right this second. But um, he also had like 150,000 signatures, and he would have most likely received clemency also, but he died right then of a heart attack at 41 years old. Oh, no, it's terrible. And then there was another one named Bob Riley, and on the very last day in office, Obama gave him a clemency also. You know, so really, that was three deadheads. Now there's still one 
left in there, uh, Leonard Picard. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but um, they were in a missile silo in Utah. And he's yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah There's quite a lot online there. about him. Hopefully, you know, he wrote a book, a pretty good book from there called Rose of Paracelsus, uh, yeah. Secrets and Sacraments, that I read. I also read that one inside, too, you know, while I was in there. And it's amazing that he wrote that because from what I understand and what I know, um, he wrote that with a pencil in the hole. And, you know, and he has words in there that are like 43 letter words, you know, with no dictionary or, you know, they're not even in a dictionary out here. Some of them words. And for just, you know, that's amazing in and of itself. And it was all done over core links. And my friend, um, John Beersford, same guy that I mentioned, Dr. John Beersford's son, he's the one that took it and helped him get it out there. And this other woman, that's a friend of mine too. So, um, yeah. Did, did I answer the question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, I, I, I still, to be honest, want to know, um, I, I'm still interested about actually the life of a deadhead, <laughs> you know, like, um, oh, what okay. it was like as well, you know, cause, um, well, I was looking at it like my dad wanted me to like work in the business, which I did for years. Right. Yeah. But it, like, I didn't feel like I was getting taught properly from him in some respects, you know, um, but I won't talk, I can't talk bad about my dad. You know, my dad actually became my co-defendant. I don't know if you know that, but he, he was helping a friend, like he had a friend of his that knew I was dealing and he wanted some, and he asked my father to get him some is basically my father's whole involvement. And, um, I sent it to this other business address. And when it got, when it was delivered there, this, this person had set me up, right? Not that person, but another person. And when he set me up, um, I mailed it all to this other address, to this other friend of mine's address, who yeah. he wanted some too. And I sent all these envelopes and one was for my dad and he was get, selling it to his friend or, you know, he was just really doing a favor for his friend. You know, my father had a, a big business. Fireworks and this, this isn't like, we're not talking, you know, kilos of, of, of no, LSU. We're talking like someone getting is, high. My whole conspiracy. Well, no, it was 2000 hits, which is two sheets of paper, two, sheet, yep. you oh, know? Yeah. two pieces of paper, like, like this size, you know, two pieces of paper, exactly this size. And my father ended up getting 10 years for them for that paper when he maybe could have got long, more. And, um, you know, he gave him 10 years and he was, a bit, you know, he had a business, you know, a legal business, a big business, you know, he had like, Captain Lou Albano and um, Jimmy Hart, you know, come like 10 years in a row, come sign autographs for the kids at his business, you know, for 4th of July and all that. Yeah. And uh, so he was able to get a bond, you know, and, and we postponed it for like two years. I couldn't get a bond and I, I knew I was in trouble and I, and there was people that I had, I was, I protected some people, yeah. you know, and you know, I figured I was, I knew I was in trouble. You know, I knew I was going to do 20 plus years anyway. I knew it, you know, I knew it up. I knew it. And, um, uh, my father ended up getting involved and then he ended up actually dying in prison in 2001. He didn't make it home. He had a heart attack in, in prison in 2001. And then 
then his business, um, he had a woman that ended up going to trial against my family and won our business, you know, and <laughs> it's really sad story in, in a way, but you know, everything happens for whatever reasons, learning experiences for sure. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. So my father, you know, yeah, he didn't make it out and, um, and his business, uh, this woman won the business and then coincidentally four days later, they illegalized it in that town. And so basically shut down, she sold the bit buildings and, you know, she hasn't opened up another one since, but, and I, I actually haven't tried to contact her or anything like that, you know, since I've been out. Um, the, oh, so the life of, so anyways, I, I didn't feel like I was taught, you know, cause he would go to high lie every night. Not a long story. I'm not, I'd rather not talk all about that, but I will say, yeah, cool man. You can travel. Imagine like I just did it actually, you know, um, a little different this time, you know, back, back then I, I vended, you know, and, um, you know, I, I vended without, you know, I just set up a little, a little table and I, I sold fried bread back then, you know, like Indian fried bread. And I made, um, you know, I, I could, I could vend, I could go into the show I can come out after the show and vend some more. And I, you know, I had a partner and everything. Uh, he never got arrested in his charge. And, um, I, I actually visited with him since I've been out and we used to sell, we used to, we were really well known for selling fried bread. I learned how to make that actually from my, my father. And one day I said, you know what, I'm going to try that. And I did it and it, and it went over pretty well, you know? So I didn't actually sell drugs at the shows. Mm -hmm. Only selling them to my friends. My friends wanted them and I sent them some. My whole conspiracy is, to, is only 1.3 grams of LSD. But they weighed the paper and said it weighed uh, over 100 grams. Which gives, which, um, you know, gives you, gives you life, uh, you know, on a third conviction. What is it? The three strike rule in America, right? Where three federal crimes... Well, it's just, it's, it goes by weight on your, on your third offense. It depends what you get caught with and, and the weight, mm -hmm. you know, my first two were, I had two state charges of same thing, selling LSD, but I was like, consider myself like preaching or sharing, you know, it's kind of like, uh, there's, it's kind of like, if you look at the movie, Tim Scully, you heard of him? Well, he has a, he basically took some LSD one time and he's like, I want to learn how to make this. I want to share this to the world. And they made orange sunshine. Like yeah. it's kind of like when you take it, you want other people to experience like there's more to life than just what you see. You know, it's like it opens your pineal gland, your third eye, you know, there's a lot of, it helps in addictions. I mean, it's showing promise in the, many schools are studying it now, you know, and, which is, I think is really good. And, um, so basically, uh, that's what I, I was like that. I was like, Hey, I want to, my friends wanted some and I was selling it to them, you know, and basically they one got caught. He set me up on a state level. It was small. And, um, and then I was, another one set me up. I didn't go to court yet on the other one. And then I basically left. I didn't decide not to go to court. I was more focused on going to see the next show. You know, because it was like reuniting with your family, 
you're, you're the energy in there. You like, you can look at YouTube all day long of all the shows and you won't get the same feeling of being inside one, you know? And that energy was like, you know, if there's a, such a thing as heavenly energy, it was really close to it, you know? And like you're in there and you're dancing, you're with all your friends and you know, really they, I just came out. I did, I was in for 26 years and 27 days. And when I came out the day I was on the bus following, they were playing under a different name called Dead and Company. Imagine that they were still playing since 1965. They, you know, at least three members of the band have been playing more or less together. I guess they took off a bunch of years in between and, in 2015, they did fairly well shows, which they were never going to play again and all that. And that, those were the hardest for me because I had so much, I, I was right at the edge of thinking, wow, I, I have a chance to be free, you know? And I, I was like, there's no way they're not going to play again. You know what I mean? Oh my God. <laughs> I felt like I felt able to play again, even if it's for me. You know? Yeah, like you'd this, want a private show. <laughs> I, yeah, I was hoping that they played, you know, I know they have to play one more time. So they, um, yeah, they, so they played under a different incarnation and it's, and it's really big. I mean, John Mayer, he can sell out a stadium by himself anyways. Mm-hmm. So of course they're playing stadiums in the summer or they were last year. And I went to a bunch of them, you know, I went to a lot of them. I, I went and I was able to travel, but this time I didn't vend you know, I. No flatbreads. <laughs> No fried breads. Uh, you know what? To be honest with you, yeah, I did once. I did it just to take video of it. You know oh, what I mean? Because cool. I have some pictures from 26 years ago, 28 years ago. So I took video of doing it. I did it at a fit, one fish show just for like an hour. And then um, at one Dead & Company show, just, just, to, just, as, just for the video part of it. You know, but I did it. I mean, I, I was... I, I wasn't, I was willing to do it. You know, it was kind of like, wow. <laughs> and I would, I would say to the people, this is, this is 26 years in the making, whatever, you know, it was kind of funny. Um, and I had a, I had this poster basically of like, I, I wrote this book, which someday it'll come out. And I had a poster done and the book came to me in 2004. I wasn't planning to write anything. Like I didn't care. And um, I had a poster that what ended up being made, which is probably going to be the cover of the book in 2008. And, uh, and it was sitting for a lot of years and it was, I couldn't find them. I like my, they were in my room at my sister's house, but she couldn't find them or whatever. And I found them myself. So I ended up had like 200, it was like 200 posters. And I, I ended up putting them on, I ended up selling them. Well, I still think I have like 90 left because I, I just put out one little thing trying to, you know, and my friend said, listen, put them on and sell them for like $75 a piece. And, and I bet you'll sell them all. And I, I put them, I sold half of them and I just never, I still have the other halves just sitting there. really. <laughs> but um, it was, you know, some that was done in prison and I was, and I was serving life, you know, and, and uh, didn't think I was going to get out. But like I said, when, uh, Obama was elected. I, I had hope, real good hope. So I sent a clemency in 2009. They denied it in 2011, right? So then 
uh, two different schools. One was um, Syracuse University in New York. Uh, they sent me a, a letter, which I still have that somewhere, uh, offering to do a clemency, their class, their whole class will do my clemency. And they'll do it every year until I get it, until I get free. But, but they offered that to me, but Catholic University out of Washington, D.C., Catholic University with um, Professor Ogilvie, he had written me earlier and they said that they said they're sending this uh, questionnaires to 12 people. And out of those 12 people, four of those people will be that school will do their clemency for free. So I filled out the questionnaire, you know, and I sent it to them and I didn't even really think that much about it, but they answered, they said, yeah, we want to do yours. And so I had to decline the Syracuse university because I already committed to the Catholic university, right? So Catholic university, uh, they, the two students, um, they did my clemency for me, you know, and professor Ogilvie, and it took a year and a half to do it. How and does this work? Like, can you do it every year? If it gets an, like when you had yours declined, can they just, yeah, you can do it again? every year. But if they don't answer you, you can't do another one until they answer you. And some people might, I took two years for them to answer me. But some people, you know, they might, they might take, um, um, you know, like more than two years. You know, some people, they, they put them in and they, they're still waiting, you know, but that means they're not declined at least, you know. And, um, you know, Coincidentally, like there was a criteria that had to be met. And one of them was, I guess there, well, you had to have either no incident reports, which I didn't have no, no incident report. I had some, you know, I actually, I, back in like 2000, in the, around 2001, 2002, around there, I was making like, I learned how to make wine basically in there, right? <laughs> And then not only wine, but then distilled alcohol, you know, and, but it was more like this, like, let's say you're in a violent penitentiary. I was, I was in, they call it bloody Beaumont, Texas, right? It's the United States penitentiary. You got moved to rank a lot. Yeah. I was in uh, 11 different prisons in 26 years, 11. And each time is a nightmare. I say a nightmare, but when you're transferring, you know, cause you got to go and they put chains on you and shackles and cuffs and you get on airplanes and I mean, buses and whatever vans. And, um, I was in Beaumont and when I walked in there, you know, they, they seemed like they didn't care about wine. They have so many people stabbing each other and killing each other. Like they, they didn't have time to deal with wine or dirty urns or any of that. Yeah. So when I got there, I was like, all right, I'll make, I'll make wine. But not only that, that was one deciding factor. The other one, you know, I'm in a violent penitentiary. I'm basically, you know, I'm basically a nonviolent person. Right. And I'm in a, a serious place. Well, if you're the wine guy, if you're making wine, nobody's going to bother you, mm. you know? So I, so I'm like, okay, I'll be the wine guy here because you know, I'm the one, I'm, you know, I had a friend that likes to drink and he had, a, you know, he had a, a big crew behind him and, uh, and he would basically, he's like, 
out by all you can make, you know, as much as you can make. Just wine and alcohol. Well, mostly I would make the wine and then distill it, which is another federal thing. <laughs> but that's, but I'm like, look, I'm in here for life. You know, I'm doing life, you know, and I, I got to live, you know, and that's, and basically I'm, that helped me in some, you know what I mean? It's probably new to some people, but that helped me survive, you know, other than that, because, you know, people are getting killed, stabbed, beat, beat with locks and, you know, daily. So I started doing that. But then while I was doing that, in the two years that I did it there, they started caring because people were drinking and, you know, not necessarily from me, but from other people. Mm -hmm. And they would um, drink and get in fights and it, would it was causing problems. So then they started caring. And then they started making the, uh, like, if you get in trouble for it, they started making it where, you know, you might not be able to talk to your family for six months or whatever. So I got in, like caught like four times. And the, and then the very last time, you know, my mom and sister said, okay, stop, stop that. And then my friend understood too, because somebody was telling on me and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And they said, stop doing that, you know, and, and we'll look out for you and we're, you know, just don't do anything wrong, basically. So I was like, all right, just so I can talk to them. I, I stopped, cool. you know, so I, and, and my friend was fine with that. You know, and my, the guy that I made it for actually was uh, doing life also. And as karma or fate would have it, he's actually going home. He has life, right? But they made a law. If you're sentenced as a juvenile, then you got to get a numbered sentence. So his numbered sentence, he's actually going home next month. Nice. You know what I mean? And this guy, like, basically, he, he was resp partly responsible for helping me, you know, be cool there. Protect you, stay safe. In a way, yeah. Pretty, yeah, he's one of them. I had several other ones, Italian guys that are pretty well known, that helped me when I first fell down. You know, I befriended up some pretty well-known, very well-known people just because and they had power in the system just, I don't know, just because um, what I was in there for, I guess, they, they felt like they had some kind of duty like to help me because they they didn't think I was like a criminal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't look at me like as this convict type person, like like their mentality, you know, they're all they're <laughs> they, you know, what they're in prison for is completely different than me. I'm, you know. I'm in there for like a, a I've, I looked at it like I was in there for a religious belief, although mm -hmm. that doesn't give me permission to, you know, sell it or whatever, Yeah. you know, but I was just, like I said, I was supplying my friends and one got arrested one, another one got arrested set me up, set me up. And then I left for two months, I mean, two years. And then when I, I went to visit Florida one day and I had to answer those two charges and they basically offered me probation or 18 months in prison which you would serve three months in prison. I took the probation. I couldn't get out. And then I, after five more months, they offered me another probation, concurrent probation. And I had two probations at once going when, um, I don't know, my friend showed up and next thing you know, I, I started going to shows again. Next thing you know, I'm, my additional friends wanted more, wanted some again. And then I, and then one ended up setting me up on his third time and they gave me life, basically. That's and you were like in your 20s. You were so young then. Yeah, I went at 23 on this charge. 
but the first ones happened like I was like 20. Yeah. I went in at 23 and I came out at 49. You know? Well, you look very young. You look, uh, it hasn't aged you, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, one, I, I attribute some of that to um, playing handball. Yeah. You know, a hand, handball yep. where you hit, yeah. Um, I did a thing with the same guy, Wes Brood, I told you, he recorded me across the country. Mm -hmm. So and he worked for like CNN at the time. And uh, he, now he's just freelancing, but NBC had paid him to come over to where I was living in Maine. And um, so they got this thing, it's NBC.com thing that it's like seven minutes long, but he came there and we recorded at a handball court. And he, he made a really amazing little documentary thing that um, like he, like I'm hitting the ball, he recorded it from all these angles and it made it so that you know, it looked like I was actually in prison, but I wasn't, I was free, you know, and it's what helped me, you know, and it, it, it's actually very, very well done thing because, um, you know, he, he talked to some psychologists and they're like, you know, what it would do to somebody and the guy, he used a term that like soul murder was his term that he used. Yeah, I it's can like, imagine. You know, really. you know, but I'm, I've been getting back a lot of feelings, you know, my, my friend Seth, he's been out for like five years and he said it took him like probably close to four years to really acclimate, you know, I, um, so I, and I understand some of that, you know, I'm, I'm still like for me to get this zoom hooked up right now. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, man. I, I mean, I have it hooked up, but I just, I just learned how to do this in the last 12 hours, you know, <laughs> I, I never did one before. I hadn't looked at one. I did see uh, what Roger Waters, he made a video like yesterday morning, I think, of uh, Mother, the song Mother. Yeah. And he, and he did a Zoom and he had all the members of his band that he was going to tour with on it. And I, you can just see it. It was on uh, Facebook or something like that. Well, we've sure got right now, there's people watching, there's people commenting. Um... Uh, oh. yeah I, I don't know um nice. yeah so i mean this is this is going live now and then it will go out on like podcasting services so people can download it to their phone to just listen or the video will be on youtube uh, oh, it's, nice. yeah, it's crazy <laughs> i did uh, i did one with uh jason flam you know oh yeah he's you know who he is yeah yeah he's um he has um he he's uh on the board of fam right yeah but he's also on um I think it's revolver podcast or something like that. And he, he has the innocence project. He donates like $23 million a year to people that are actually innocent because there are people actually innocent in prison. Yeah, and, when he, and when he gets people out, you know, when his project gets people out that are actually innocent, he puts them on a podcast. Now he put me on there. I wasn't actually innocent. I, I pled guilty basically. Mm -hmm. And, um, but he put me on there just because he felt like the punishment didn't fit the crime. Number one, yeah. the, um, you know, and maybe how I viewed it or how he viewed it or how others view, you know, psychedelics in general, you know, what they're here for, you know, I think they're here for service, whatever. Um, so he, um, he did a podcast. I went to New York city and, you know, did a podcast with him. And I really didn't even know who he was. You know, <laughs> somebody said, hey, Jeff. And, and that's how it sort of happens with me. Like, I'll, I'll go and meet somebody. I won't know too much about him. 
and then I'll look them up on this com computer, the phone, you know, Google now <laughs> and say, oh, okay, you know, you know, so it, um, so he had me on there and he was like, well, you're the first person that's not innocent, actually innocent on here. But, you know, he thought it was important. So, you know, cool. it was, it's like an hour and 12 minutes there. Nice. Um, so you got, I mean, you were introduced to, to me through uh, Breed and Rudy. Uh, thanks by the way, guys. <laughs> um, like, how did you get in touch? Did they get in touch with you? And I obviously uh, yeah, they spoke about I, you coming out. I actually been talking to her for, um a year cool nice and or maybe longer and i was actually couldn't i was thinking about going you went to breaking conventions mm -hmm. breaking convention yeah in the uk yeah i was almost gonna go there it's just i i had a son commit committed before then and there was a, a couple reasons but i wasn't sort of invited to go there and then also where you're at in the netherlands yeah there was is that where she does a summer of love yes um, yeah summer of love 3.0 yeah is that is it gonna be this year or no uh Again. they've done events but they they've they've always putting on new events it's amazing actually all of the all of the different ceremonies and psychedelic events and music gatherings that they do like it's really really cool like yeah i've got a lot of respect for everything those guys do you, you should really come out like uh you should fly out here and yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's definitely a, that's definitely a, a goal that i have is to go there the only place i've ever been ever now is uh, mexico and i went there since i've been freed you know i have a i got really? a passport i have a passport and um and i went to mexico to see dead and company cool. <laughs> for, <Nice. laughs> for three shows there you know and that was like a real nice big deal there i i couldn't even believe something a place like that existed I was like, well, I couldn't believe yeah. it, you know, and I was in Maine at the time. So you imagine going from freezing degree, freezing, you know, yeah. zero degrees with snow to a beach that has 79 degree water all year long. And all, oh my, it was just like, you can't even Heaven. really describe it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we, we're already, we're running quite, um, the Zoom thing has got, limit i actually extended it because normally we do about an hour but i don't really like to put a cap on it but um like i feel like we've got so much we could <laughs> we could talk about so I, I think we should do like a part two um like maybe well it'd be best to do one in person you know when you when you can come out like i think it'd be really cool to have you if you're up for oh, it yeah that would be that would be nice i'll come is, meet you yeah man <sighs> is, is there anything you want to um anything you want to like say or um anything any message like important message you want to give out to anyone who's listening well i mean you know there's people that are in prison that probably you know one thing i could say is people wrote me you know like at times when i didn't um you know i could be in the hole or i could be wherever and you know getting a letter at a time when you're like not feeling totally happy is is a big deal you know so like i i mentioned osha's site kids writing kids because those you know the people can go there and they can put their name on there or their family's name on there it's k-i-d-z writing k-i-d-z and church of love's own dream but um and uh you know just writing a prisoner you know what i mean like or just send them a letter you know i don't know i say 
it helped me, you know, but I mean, that's not, maybe not everybody is, um, you know, could see it the way I do. It's just I think that's really important. And you also have like people that, that are doing life for marijuana still in the United States. And that's, that's really bad. That, I mean, you know, I look at marijuana as, as a sacrament too. It's for service of man. You can make paints out of it. You can make, uh, clothing out of it you can you can make fuel out of out of yeah. it you know everything it, it's like hemp yeah it has the um you know the ability to change to reverse the climate the change you know what i mean so you know so if it specifically can write a, a marijuana prison that would be nice too you know there there's agree, yeah. that um and then there's also people at you know, and sign petitions for certain people, you know, especially, um, you know, that change.org is what helped me, you know, that's where a lot of mine came from. Uh, that's where 423,000 signatures came from that they all signed it through there. Yeah. And it seems like, um, you know, I sign petitions whenever I see one, especially for like, you know, pot prisoners and stuff mm -hmm. like that, especially ones that are serving life because, it's legal in a lot of states and it's, and it's here for the service of man, you know, even if somebody was like religious and they want to really get technical and go into Genesis and give you all green plants. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can give you a decent argument on that. that I, you know, I think so. in the end it should be down to, I believe it should be down to personal choice. You know, what you, what people want to, you're not directly harming somebody else. And, and there are other harmful things like, you know, such as alcohol, which are promoted, can be advertised, can be sold, you know, and there's cigarettes that are killing millions of people. Yet there are people serving life in prison for cannabis and for LSD. It's, it's quite crazy. And then like families against men and mandatory fam, you know, my sister donated to them quite a bit of times and the lady that started, she, um, you know, she's always helped me, to, you know, throughout time. And they, they have been instrumental in changing some laws around the country too. Really? You know? Okay. And so that's another one that's, you know, worthy, you know? So, um, well, I appreciate, uh, you know, yeah, man, thank you. I'm just seeing if uh, there's a, any questions. Sometimes we get sent any a couple of questions. Um, I've had a few things. Whilst yeah, no, normally over the past few episodes we've had like people put in questions and then I um, I I've asked them, but it's I've kind of ignored them <laughs> most of them. There's a couple. So I have been asked if uh, <laughs> if it's true that the that deadheads to be to be a, a real deadhead you had to uh, put. Um, have a bottle of LSD on your thumb and go like that. That's apparently, uh, uh, is that I true? <laughs> I don't know really about that, but um, <laughs> I'm sure that most people have taken a, a drop like that or two, or, you know, actually, I, in a long story, I had a vial open up in my pants, you know, one time. Oh, really? It soaked <laughs> into my skin and it, and it, it just, um, it was too much at, at one time to handle, but I, I came through. You know, cool. this is well. You're here years. now, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so someone's asked uh, as well. Any news on Leonard Pickard? No, you know, I heard that uh, his co-defendant Clyde Apperson. I heard that he might be getting out like right now instead of later because of the coronavirus. Um, 
I heard that. I hope okay. that's true. And uh, Leonard Picard, I, I'd love to see him free one day too, you know, because maybe perhaps I look at him as kind of like a hero instead of being, the villain. Uh, he the shouldn't be in prison, <laughs> yep. you know? Sure. Wow. Um, kind of like I'm, Albert Hoffman, he invented it. He was considered a hero in Brazil, Switzerland, you know? For sure, yeah. Uh, the, ti- the times are changing, for sure. You know, it really is. There's... There are more and more studies being, uh, you know, being conducted. Finally, people are actually seeing, uh, like, scientists uh, backing the result, you know, evidence saying that there are benefits to psychedelics and that, you know, they, these things can help people and they're not the, the dangerous, crazy drugs that were made out to by the media, you know, for the past four or five decades. Yeah, it's the same with weed, for that matter. Yeah. That's changing no. massively. It's legal in Canada, and you know, I'm where I am in the Netherlands. We can go to the shop and buy it; it's no problem. And well, you can do that here, and well, where I am right now in Vegas, yeah. uh, I'm in uh, I'm in Oregon right now. But my nice. sister lives in Vegas, Oregon, California. They all have shops that you can go. That's great. You know? It's crazy that there's shops to buy it, but there are people in prison for it still, which is kind of a yeah, quite a juxtaposition. Hopefully, one day, you know, maybe Trump will wake up and or whoever will wake up and let them all out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Say, okay, enough is enough. We should legalize. You want to have an economy that they got economy that's ruined. Well, all you got to do is plant hemp in the whole freaking country. Yeah. Like they got a song called, um, grateful dead gone out of the days, like take up the yoke and plow the fields around, you know, like the lyrics, um, so it's like perhaps those are the days right now it's time if you yep. you can plant right now you know that's actually a goal that i have is to get a hemp farm where Pretty people cool. coming out of prison can come there eat organic food help learn how to grow hemp and then start a life like that you know because that's like um that's the future you know amazing um well, we should. We'll stay in touch, man. I really want to know what you're, what's going on, what you're doing. If I can help anything, and like, yeah, we'll. I'll, I'll come out here when you'll come out here, and I'll, I'll show you around. You'll get to see Amsterdam and uh, yeah, <laughs> experience. That, that sounds very. That sounds like a plan. Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. And yeah, I'll uh, speak to you soon. Cheers, man. Cheers.